What is up, profitable public speaking listeners? Mark Burt, the podcasting coach here. And as authors, I mean, having a book really does help your brand. So we're going to assume you're an author and say, if you are not an author, definitely start your own book. But as an author, one of the things you could do at each speaking gig is sell your books, is get new readers for your books. And that could do a lot of great things for your business if your book is properly set up to get clients and get more people into your services. So that's why in this episode, we're going to talk about how can you maximize your next speaking gig, sell more books, get more readers. That is all in this episode. Our guest who joins us today, she spent most of her life preparing to be an educator only to burn out after working as a middle school teacher in Baltimore City. Our guest then decided to pursue freelancing and built it to six figures in within 18 months. Now she teaches others how to build fulfilling lifestyle businesses from home as a coach. She's also the author of Write Your Own Freelance Writing, Launch Your Own Freelance Writing Business. Our guest who joins us is none other than Laura Briggs. Laura, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you. Laura, I'm so happy to have you on Profitable Public Speaking. And speaking gigs just give you such a great opportunity. You're on this platform. You have people's attention, but so many people miss that opportunity to sell more books. That's why I'm so happy to be doing this episode. I'm wondering if you could share with us how you got into speaking and what that has been able to do for you as an author. Absolutely. Well, it's done a lot of different things. So I, I think I pursued a very similar strategy to a lot of people when you first start speaking, which is maybe you take some of those gigs that are free, but offer a lot of exposure, or you're getting paid a little bit, or they're paying your travel or something like that. For me, I leveraged my two TEDx talks into more paid speaking gigs. And um, I didn't realize the real potential to sell books when I first got started with speaking gigs. And so I kind of learned along the way some of the things that I did well that got people interested in purchasing the book. And now I try to tweak and fine tune that process so that almost every time I'm on stage, there's people who are coming up to me afterwards to buy a physical copy or who said, I got on my phone on Amazon while you were talking and bought the book. And I think that's every author's dream where you're not overly promoting the book, but you're giving enough information and ideas where people are so intrigued by your story that they want to follow up and, and purchase your book. And it's also those great moments where you can get pictures with people who bought it, share that on social media. You kind of build the buzz at each speaking gig. And I love that. The idea of, you know, getting pictures with people, especially if they are holding your book, because, you know, you can, I feel like people not bringing their books to events is definitely a missed opportunity. And those pictures are really going to help you with the social proof and with building buzz around your book. And all that's great if you can get on those stages. So what has worked for you to getting on those types of stages where you can offer your books. I know not every, like each event organizes a little bit of different rules. So one of the things you don't want to do is pitch to the organizer that you're coming to the conference to sell your book. You also don't want to pitch. I found that it's actually better to be indirect um, when you're on these stages. Kind of talk about your journey of writing a book. Why did you write it? What was good and bad about it? What surprised you about the process? Um, because what I found is when you're not standing on stage holding your book and saying, hey, buy this thing that I wrote, people are more likely to come up and 
purchase it afterwards or to find it online and buy it from there. So you kind of want to go about it indirectly. When you're talking to these conference organizers, you want to make it very clear that you're coming to the conference to provide value to their attendees. The book is a credibility thing, so you can position it like, hey, by the way, I've also written a book in addition to doing lots of other conferences and you know speaking at other events. But you don't want to make that be the main thing that the conference organizer hears from you is that you're there to sell your book or you're there to sell your course. So lead with the value first and do that from the stage as well. And that's a great point Laura brings up because as like you do want to sell your books uh, to as many people as you can, but you don't want to say buy my book. You don't want to make it into like a sales pitch because then that decreases your chances of, you know, being invited back as a speaker and people don't like being sold. People would rather make that decision themselves, feel like they're making that decision themselves to buy your book. And um, after you're on the stage, you do your talk, you provide value, you get off. What then are you doing? Like, yeah. do you have your books like in the back of the room? Or are you just trying to talk to people and you have a book and you give it to people like your business card? Like, how do you approach the before and after your talk? So this is another thing where you're going to want to ask the conference organizers. Sometimes they will allow you to do um, a table. They'll have like an author's table if it's a bigger conference where people are signing things. I've been at conferences where you can sign up for a specific time period to be at the table speaking and um, or offering to sign books. So that's a great approach if they will allow you to do that. Um, if they won't, I think it's always good for every author to carry a couple copies of their book. Always have some with you. Um, I think the other thing people love about it is, hey, yeah, you can go buy it from Amazon or Barnes and Noble or get it on ebook. But if you buy it from me today, I'm going to give you, like, I'm going to sign it for you. I'm going to personalize it. I also um, include my postcard that has all the information for people who bought the book um, when it was on pre-order. So I consider pre-order buyers and in-person buyers, they deserve an extra level of something. The other part of that too is when you sell a book, you don't capture their email address unless they're buying it from your website. So this idea of here's the bonuses you're going to get, I'm putting this postcard in the book for you to take home, go to this website to get the additional bonuses, I'm signing it for you. It's so much more of a personalized experience and the person just feels very special um, that you did that. But you've also not just sold a book, but you got them into your ecosystem by saying, hey, you've got to go here to download this additional stuff. I'm giving it to you for free because you bought this book in person. And that's a really great tip because the big weakness with book sales is you don't get the email address. Yeah. But uh, like a lot of authors, they put something on page one, like some kind of opt-in also yeah. at the end of the book. But to when you are at the event to have that personalized notice to someone saying like, hey, thank you for getting the book. I want mm -hmm. to offer you this download. That is such a great tactic because yeah. now it goes beyond the book. It's you being able to frequently send emails to someone, which mm -hmm. is such a big game changer for any business. Yeah. And you want for a lot of people, their book is kind of their entry point into the funnel. So that might not be everything that person ever buys from you. But if you have the opportunity to connect with that person one on one, make it a 10 out of 10 experience. You're smiling. You're asking them, hey, what interested you in the book? Hey, here's this free thing. What's what's your name? Who do you want me to make this out to? 
people feel so positive about that. And they're like, wow, I, I met this person in real life. They were very genuine. I got so much out of it, like worth more than the $20 I spent mm -hmm. on the book. And then when they're in your funnel and you might be potentially pitching bigger things down the line, they already know, like, and trust you because that experience from the jump was so amazing and positive for them. So really focus on those one-on-one -on -one interactions as much as you can. I always ask people, what made you interested in the book? You know, do you have a background in writing? You know, whatever your subject is, you can really have one-on-one -on -one conversations. And I think people love that. And uh, that conversation is really important because that's going to be what people remember. Mm -hmm. Each time they see your book on their bookshelf, they're going to remember you. They're going to remember your conversation. They're going to remember what you represent, what mm -hmm. you mean to them and all those different things. And then that's going to impact the likelihood of you selling things beyond your book, like coaching, training courses. Yeah. I'm wondering if you could share with us what your strategy looks like from beyond the book sale, like leading people to a funnel, doing the uh, like, you know, upsell, like what does that look like for your strategy? Yeah. So my book is definitely the entry point into my funnel. Um, I don't work often with beginners. So my first book is totally geared towards beginners. So my strategy for my first book and my second book, which is more about advanced freelancing will look a little bit different. So with the, the first book, my goal is to get them to trust me. This is someone who's not yet ready to hire me as a one-on-one -on -one coach. They maybe have the money to invest in a book, but they don't have the money to invest in a course. I still want them to come into my world. I still want to offer them courses like my book is about freelance writing. So they'll go into a funnel that kind of says, you know, what's your background in writing? Um, have you been writing for a while and you're not making money? Or is this something where you're brand new to it? And I might recommend courses like my course on LinkedIn or my course on using Upwork based on that. But that book is really more about getting them to feel like they got a tremendous value add at the beginning. Now, I for my second book, the strategy I'm going with is this is a direct funnel into, I coach freelancers one-on-one -on -one who are at or aspiring to the six-figure or multiple six-figure mark. So my book being about six-figure freelancing is perfect. So there's going to be a, a full resource page where people can opt in to get those great freebies for pre-ordering. Um, and also just for buying the book, there will be um, resources that come just with that. And my goal with that is to get them into my funnel and get them to feel like I'm the expert that they can trust. So you want to adjust your strategy a little bit based on where you're at. At. I'm not going to try to sell something right away to someone who bought a $20 beginner book. But if it's a more advanced book, I might be like, yeah, you can hire me for a strategy session. You can hire me for three months of one-on-one -on -one coaching. And so that's important to think about from the beginning, right? Like where is this person at in my funnel and how am I going to reach them best from here? I'm probably not going to sell someone a $20 book who's a beginner and then say, here's my $10,000 coaching package you should sign up for. They're like, I haven't even made my first dollar or been able to implement you know, what you did. So make sure that it lines up well. And Laura brings up such a great point where you do have to think about who your reader is. When you're talking about beginners, you don't want to go right into a $10,000 package. That's where, you know, courses make sense, things like that. But if you're bringing on someone more advanced, then still 20 to 10,000 is still like a really big leap. But uh, you, you can go into coaching. You can go into those types of offers sooner when it makes sense because you do hear about this ascension model but it's more based on where that person is on the journey like a beginner you have to like really have like low price points that very gradually build up but for someone who's really ready to make the investments 
you can rush a little earlier into those types of offers. So it is good, as Laura says, to think about who your book is geared towards and then creating the funnel around that kind of avatar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something that we all think about as authors when we're creating the book idea. You know, you probably have multiple audiences within who you're writing your book for, but think about the psychological like point where that person is at. Why are they investing in your book? It could be something where, um, you know, they read it and they're like, this is great and I need more help implementing it right away. So you do want to make sure you have something for them to get beyond that, right? You want to, you want to at least have some type of an offer that lines up with that. Um, but it, it, like we said, it just needs to be, you know, matching well with where they are most likely at. And that's a question you can ask in your funnel too, right? Like go to my page to get this free stuff. And then your first email to them is something with value, but it asks a question that has a button at the bottom, which of these best describes you. And then you can use your email software to sort them like, Oh, this is somebody who's like, they're a DIYer. They just want to read the book and implement the stuff. But maybe there's another button that's like, I really need help or something like that. And then you can start to flag those people inside your own marketing as who is ready for that next step. Yeah. And again, like just this idea of not just creating a book now based on who your avatar is, but having people basically tell you what avatar they fit in based on the questioning you ask. I mean, this could just be like a quiz. This could just be like a quick little like one question poll thing before they get the freebie. I mean, there's a few different ways to do it, but it is important to know who, like what each person fits in for the avatars that you set for the avatars who you help. So, I mean, that's definitely a very great insight. And um, I mean, I do want to jump into this because uh, slightly off topic, but still very relevant. I mentioned earlier, you made six figures within 18 months. And I feel like a lot of people, for them, that's really incredible. So I'm wondering if you could share with us how you were able to do that and uh, your mindset that you had towards it. So when I started my business, I really didn't intend for it to be a business. I thought it was kind of like a nice side hustle to have, um, but I didn't know that there was the potential there for it to grow as much. What really made the difference from this being a side hustle, like a part-time income and really scaling it up was being really selective about who I worked with. So just like we were talking about qualifying your prospects, figuring out where they're at, I niched down into the types of freelance work that I offered and I got very kind of rigid about who I was and wasn't going to work with. And I also had to, um, I'm sure this comes up a lot with speakers as well. You have to outsource some things. You can't, you know, I do all of my freelance writing client work, but because I do all that, I don't manage a fair amount of my social media. I don't post things to my blog. I don't produce my own podcast. That's being done by subcontractors because you have to leverage your time in order um, to get the things done that are really within your zone of genius. So for me, it was really about client qualification. I turned down a lot of people. Um, I really practice my negotiation skills as well. I think a lot of business owners, it's valuable to know that everything is negotiable. If you can't negotiate on price, negotiate on something else. Can you get this person to sign a longer contract? Can you get more favorable terms as far as delivery or what you, the work you have to do on your end? And so really figuring out like, who is my ideal client? How can I serve them most effectively while it being really efficient for me was very important to scaling. 
And you said something I really liked uh, where you said that, you know, you were selective about who you work with. And I feel like there are people who struggle with that. There are people, especially in the beginning, who they just want the money. They don't care who they work with. And then that could lead to a tough path. So I'm wondering if you could share with us how you got selective early on and like what kind of clientele you had. Like, you know, for some people, they need a lot of clients to hit a goal while others don't need as many. So I'm wondering, hear your thoughts on that. Well, I think one mistake that we all kind of fall victim to at the beginning is we try to do everything. And that is really hard for your brain to like, as a copywriter, I could say, yeah, I could do white papers. I can do SEO content. I could do sales copy. But if I'm trying to stay the industry expert on 10 different types of writing, that's exhausting. And I'm spending a lot of my time in, you know, in lawyer speak on non-billable hours, right? Because I'm having to learn and stay up to speed and I have to have a different sales page or offer for each one of these things. So for me, it was about figuring out what do I do the fastest that I also like the most that is also in demand. And then how do I find those clients who are interested in that particular thing? I think it's also important to narrow down your offerings. So this was really important when I went from full-time freelancing to half-time freelancing and half-time coaching freelancers. I couldn't have all the coaching packages in the world. So I made it very simple. You either need me for a one-time strategy session or we need to work together for three months. There's no other options um, outside of my courses, which is for the DIY type of person, because I couldn't handle all the administrative stuff from that. So for me, it's very clear who my person is. Um, they're, they're gonna fall into one of those two camps and not trying to say, well, let me make 10 offerings and see which one is most popular. I just said, what's easiest for me? A one-time strategy session, which nine times out of 10, the person does that and invests in the three-month coaching because they had a positive experience. And then I don't have to have all these other things where I have to keep track of pricing and coupons and landing pages and email funnels, like let's just stick to the things that I do the best. Um, and so even with my coaching, I coach my um, freelance clients over Voxer because for me, I'm a writer. I don't want to type anymore. So I don't want to, and I don't want to be on phone calls all day long. So for me, they send me, you know, three to six minute messages on Voxer. I respond to everybody a couple of times per day. I can do that on the go. I can do that wherever. It works really well for me. So think about your delivery model as well. I um, don't allow my freelance writing clients to do phone calls with me unless they purchase a certain size package where I would call them a VIP. So that's another way too. Like where are your time sucks? And for me, being on phone calls for an hour or two hours, if you're not paying a premium rate or on a premium retainer, it's not really a good use of my time and it can fill my whole day. So that's what I mean by getting selective, figure out what you do and don't like and what's going to be easiest for you. And just tell people that like, yeah, I'm sure there's some people who want to have a once a week call as a freelance client. I'm not for them, right? Like we're going to get coached on Voxer or you can choose to work with someone else. And that's cool. I might lose some people, but I really attract the people who are the right fit for me. And that ultimately makes my business easier as well. And I really do like that idea of, you know, knowing what works for you and not bending based on like getting one client, because if you do that once, you're just going to keep bending. You're going to broaden up too much in terms of topics and then you have like, you know, you want to be happy doing what you want to do. So you don't want to bend at all once you're really clear on what it is you want to do and how you want to serve people. 
And it's interesting you mentioned nine out of 10 of those strategy calls are working out. So I'm wondering what are you doing in those strategy calls to make them work out? And how are you getting those right people? Because I know that's also part of it. Yeah. Well, so part of it too is I want to make sure that the person has a, a budget, right? So if they're not willing to invest in, you know, a reasonable price for a 30 or 45 minute strategy call, then they're probably not my ideal client anyways, right? I'm not going to sell them into three months of coaching right away. Um, I also kind of force people to be super prepared for that strategy call. So you can do this inside your booking, um, whatever tool you use, Acuity, Scheduling, Calendly, something like that. You ask them questions when they pay. And so for me, I also set up people's expectations early on. If we're on a 45 minute call, I can probably help you with two, maybe three current issues in your freelance business. If I didn't bound that in, then people would show up with nine questions that I can't realistically answer in 45 minutes. So my goal is to be as prepared for that call as possible. If they said, you know, my website isn't converting and I'm not getting any freelance clients, part of my prep for the call is going to be to look at their website and to come up with some recommendations. I also do really easy things like tell them, hey, this is going to be a Zoom call that's recorded. It doesn't really make it any harder for me to hit record on the session we're doing anyways but that way they can go back and look at it later. Especially if you're like me, you're a fast talker and you say a lot in 45 minutes and people can get overwhelmed. So give them easy wins like that. When I send them the recording, I try to send like two to three action steps. Like, hey, based on what we talked about, these are the things you're gonna implement right away. And when you give people the chance to have that easy win, especially if you tackle something that's really been frustrating them on that strategy call, they're like, wow, this is a one call, like a one-time call I got with this person. Where would my business be? Where would I be? if I was working with them more often. Um, so it's really, you know, about that level of getting that person, like they're already willing to spend some level of money to work with you. And what can you deliver in that one-time call that makes them feel like, wow, that th- this was worth way more than I paid for it and I'm ready to move on. I love that mentality because you want to show someone you're worth a lot. Like you should invest in me because you got so much value right away in that first strategy call. And another key point, making sure you do have those people who uh, are going to pay because you, no matter how good you are, you can't convert someone who doesn't want to pay, who doesn't want to make that kind of investment. So, and that's certainly a really great point uh, for having these successful strategy calls. And I mean, when it comes to, you know, speaking on stages, selling books, it's how much can you connect all these different things together And I feel like Laura has really showed us how you can connect these different things together to really form a successful business. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, it's been so much fun to kind of learn all of this. And like, as we work in online businesses, it's, it's different when you incorporate that in-person element of speaking, right? And so that's something like you mentioned, you always have to think about that. Where does this in-person element fit in with the rest of my digital business? How can I leverage that most effectively? Taking the pictures with people, giving them a place to go digitally to collect their information, using my past speaking gigs to pitch future conference organizers. It does all work together and thinking about that in advance really helps. Yeah, so again, thinking about it in advance, really connecting all of your parts of your business together. That's how you build a robust structure. So Laura, thank you so much for coming on Profitable Public Speaking. This was such an awesome time. Uh, we will be linking to your book in the show notes or any other places we go to uh, find your work and follow your journey. 
Yeah, sure. So I host my own show, the advanced freelancing podcast. And then I have a group on Facebook called mastering your freelance life with Laura. If you are interested in delving into, you know, selling creative services online. Well, we will definitely have all those links in the show notes, but once again, Laura, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. It was such a pleasure to have you here today. Oh, thanks. It was my pleasure.